the Republican-led Ohio Senate has passed the so-called heartbeat bill, which would ban abortion once a fetal heartbeat is detected. It's now headed to the Ohio House. Governor Mike DeWine has said that he would sign the bill if it reaches his desk, which would be among the most restrictive abortion measures in the country. I have to admit, for me, there are few policy areas as exhausting as reproductive health care services for women. Since the rise of the new right over the last few decades, despite abortion being legal since 1973, there's been an endless series of attempts in Ohio and nationally to make abortions increasingly difficult to get and even in many cases illegal. Every year when a new legislative assembly convenes in Ohio, the same bills always seem to come back, usually with some new twists and often in the form of even more stringent regulations limiting which women can access an abortion, under what conditions, and where. In Ohio, the number of facilities offering abortion services decreased significantly during the administration of Governor John Kasich, a governor, I might add, who may have been moderate in some aspects of health policy, but certainly was not with regard to abortion. Well more than 90% of Ohio counties have no providers offering abortion services in 2019. This is Prognosis Ohio, an Ohio health policy and politics report. I'm Dan Skinner. Over the past few years, there have been a series of attempts, many successful, to limit Ohioans' access to reproductive health care services. At the same time, and seriously frustrating to me, is that the same Americans who have led this anti-abortion charge have been attacking some of the Affordable Care Act's important gains with contraceptive access, which health care experts widely credit with having driven down the abortion rate. Unintended pregnancy has plummeted as contraceptive access has increased. Right now, in our state and nationally, the fate of women's ability to secure a safe and legal abortion is on the line, creating a precarious situation for women's health. There are just so many developments, and they move so fast that keeping track of all the attempts to limit access to abortion and other reproductive health care services in Ohio requires almost full-time attention. That's why we're talking to today's guest, Sarah Inskeep, Communications and Digital Manager with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio, the organization's advocacy arm. Whether it be at the Ohio State House or in her office, Sarah writes and manages the communications around legislative and political activity in Ohio that impacts Ohioans' health, rights, and Planned Parenthood's ability to provide essential reproductive health care and education across the state. I wanted to talk with Sarah about the return in recent months of the Heartbeat Bill, which many pro-choice groups now refer to as the Six Weeks Ban. Whatever you call it, though, the legislation is a perennial feature of Ohio's legislative cycles. Yet, these bills have taken on new meaning in 2019, with renewed support from our new governor, Mike DeWine. I caught up with Sarah after a busy few weeks in which she appeared to be effectively living at the State House, where she was attending a seemingly endless barrage of hearings on the many anti-abortion bills making their way through the General Assembly. Okay, now to my conversation with Sarah Inskeep. Okay, well, Sarah Inskeep, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I've been in Ohio since 2010, and when I first came here, one of the very first things I actually think I learned about going on in the state was the heartbeat bill. It seems like it's been going on forever, um, and obviously, we're seeing now that the Republicans seem to have been kind of waiting out the Kasich administration to some degree uh, before they really moved full force on it, um, at least that's my sense. But before we turn to the heartbeat bill, which everybody's been talking about recently, I wonder if you can just tell me a little bit about 
kind of what is the state of reproductive rights? How do you understand where we are in the state? I know that's a very broad question, but just to give uh, listeners a kind of sense of the overall terrain. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been a lot of of movement uh, regarding reproductive rights and particularly legislative movements uh, to restrict or ban access to safe and legal abortion in the state. During the 2018 midterm election, we talked about um, losing, you know, really key seats, um, losing the governor's race, and how we were in this hypothetical scenario of Ohio becoming the most restrictive state in the country for safe and legal abortion in a matter of a few short months. Uh, that has become a, a real threat and a real a reality for for us here. We've seen that put forward through the the legislative priorities of um, the anti-abortion lobbyist groups uh, at the top of the agenda of our Ohio legislators and, of course, our Governor Mike DeWine. So it's it's real. Um, It's a a rather scary time for many people, um, to patients, to providers, um, to staff uh, who care and work in this field and also rely on just accessing basic health care. you know, every single day that they go into work or that they go into have an appointment that day, um, things are, are rapidly changing. You used the word scary there, and I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what that means in fact, because one of the questions that I have and one of the thoughts I have is just wondering whether advocates of these bills um, really understand what they're getting into, if they really understand what the world looks like or what the state looks like, if their legislation were to come through. But I wonder if you can tell me a little bit, wh- what are the stakes here? Is the heartbeat bill of 2019 the heartbeat bill of 2010, or um, has it intensified? What are the stakes of this particular moment and in, in that bill in particular? I think scary is absolutely one of the, the first feelings that come to mind when I when I talk about the the six week ban or the referred to heartbeat bill, um, and I and that comes through conversations that I have with supporters, that I have uh, with other legislators, that I have with particularly patients. Um, and the bill that we're we're talking about, it's Senate Bill twenty three. We refer to it as the six week abortion ban. This is essentially the same bill that you were referring to back from twenty ten. Uh, the sponsor of the bill is Senator Christina Rogner. Uh, she says every single time that she speaks on the bill, that she sponsored the bill in committee, that she's just picking up the torch from those that came before her and previous general assemblies who authored and, and really took the this bill by the head and brought it forward. And what we're seeing currently as Senate Bill 23, she's just the legislator that's taking it across the line, now knowing that we have a more hostile majority in the, the General Assembly, and now that we have a, quote, um, pro-life governor that has committed to sign this bill in particular. It is a very um, extreme bill. I, I, I want to be clear that any bill to restrict or ban access in the state is extreme, but this bill in particular is the most um, restrictive when it comes to the the time limits um, and the lack of exceptions that it allows. So this bill notably does not have exceptions for rape or incest um, and very narrow margins for life of the mother or life of the, the, the woman. It is a very um, extreme bill in, in that regard. Yeah, six weeks, we're talking about a time when uh, many women may not even know they're pregnant and will pass the the threshold for what this bill is proposing to do. Absolutely. And that's exactly the way that we talk about this legislation is that 
this would be an effective ban on abortion in the state. By the time that most people realize that they're pregnant or that they can get into a health center to confirm the pregnancy and move forward with their appointments, it could very well be past the point of which they could access a safe and legal abortion in the state. So I wonder if you could tell me something that I've been following over these years. It was always a little puzzling um, that Ohio Right to Life didn't seem to support most of these kinds of bills because they knew they were unconstitutional on their face and also presumably because they knew Governor Kasich was poised to veto them. Uh, but things have changed with that as well. Um, and I believe that Ohio Right to Life, correct me if I'm wrong, now supports this. But if if I'm right about that, I mean, how do you interpret that that repositioning? Absolutely. So Ohio Right to Life has now backed this bill. They have not backed this bill in the past. Uh, it wasn't until last year during the lame duck legislative session at the ninth hour before uh, this bill moved in a veto override in in back in the state house that Ohio Right to Life sent a press release saying, okay, now we endorse the bill, we're in full support of it, um, and the veto override. I I think it was literally minutes after that that press statement came out failed, but we continue to hear their position as for their endorsement when they talk about the bill and why they back it now is because they know that the courts are more conservative leaning. Um, they know that Governor DeWine has pledged to sign the bill, and now they see a clear pathway to outlaw, outlawing abortion in the state. So now it is convenient for them to, of course, back the bill, and they are in full force lobbying for it. The past several weeks, I've sat in committees with their folks that work for them and lobby for them, and they're, they are recruiting people to testify. They're holding lots of meetings, being a bit more emboldened on social media with their um, their targeting for legislators and things. So they're absolutely 100% behind this bill. It, it was interesting, though, uh, the, the pattern and kind of the, the fraction, if you will, in, in the, the pro-life movement when it came down to this bill. And then there was a similar bill that was sponsored by Faith to Action, which is another another pro-life action group. So, so what do you make of my question, though? I mean, do you think that, you know, we? I always try to assume the best of intentions in people until uh, proven otherwise. When I look at the consequences, when I look at the pre-Roe era, what you're really saying, I mean, six weeks is, is tantamount to um, returning to the pre-Roe era. The Republicans in, that are, are pushing this in the General Assembly really know what this world looks like. Are they being driven by a kind of political imperative or just a kind of um, impulse that they they want to ban abortion, they're opposed to abortion, and they're not thinking of the consequences? Or do you think they are thinking about what Ohio looks like after this this kind of legislation gets enacted? I think we saw part of that during the lame duck legislative session with this similar bill, the six-week ban, that failed. During that session, there was a uh, legislator that, by one vote, decided not to vote for it. Granted, he was not returning to the General Assembly. But I I think it was a real moment for people that do this work uh, that are in the State House that are paying attention, that it was a real moment that it became very, very clear that legislators, if they don't think twice about their vote, especially doing it during a time where people are out on holidays, they're taking time off, that this is at a very late hour in a normal work day, that this is really shutting people out from the process and that this is going to have a real consequence whether it be for their next campaign or election or whatever office that they end up 
you know, choosing to run for outside of the, the state assembly, this is going to be tied to them. I think that that was a real moment, but uh, it feels different this general assembly. I'll be very honest with you. We've done our best and our partners that, that join us in this work have done our absolute best to bring really compelling stories, the most credentialed expert people, medical providers, academics, people that have had abortions to really paint that picture to the people that's on the committee and that are ultimately voting for this bill to say, if you support this bill, you're saying, I don't have access to healthcare and here's how it's going to impact my life, my future and my community. And we've exhausted uh, our best effort in bringing people and we're going to do it again next week. Uh, and that's the main thing we can do is to continue to uplift those stories and that that experience um, and the people that know because they work in the field um, and they provide health care, what this would really mean. Right. And, you know, a lot of the folks who seem to be advocating for these kinds of um, restrictive bills are also the same folks who, with regard to the Affordable Care Act, and you and I are actually talking on the ninth anniversary of yes. the, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Yes, I know. You know I, I have it on my mind. And I'm just thinking, you know, um, when we talk about things like interference between providers and patients, um, there's an uproar whenever um, an attempt gets made to do something on the healthcare systems level that is perceived in that way. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we're literally talking about banning something and cutting off access, regardless of what providers think, regardless of what patients want. And we know from the data that um, this is an important issue to many, many women. It's one of the reasons why they've had so much trouble passing this over the last nine years. And no, you know, everybody knows the tenacity of groups like Planned Parenthood and NARAL and all that. But you, you just wonder how much buyer's remorse there's going to be at the other side um, when they see what this actually looks like. Absolutely. And the, the consequences that are going to come, not only when we're talking about the healthcare infrastructure and healthcare community, what about the economy? You know, we we've heard so many times and, and we're seeing legislation that's being pushed at a state level. We, we just had Medicaid work requirements, you know, being considered in the state house that there's just a systematic crippling of people to be able to take care of themselves at a fundamental level. Um, and even if they wanted to work, they may not be healthy enough to do so and that, you know, certain government programs won't support them for that. It's been an incremental approach uh, from the opposition side, and this is going to be the, uh, I, I've been call calling it the crowning jewel, but the, the last effort to really get to where they want, and they're going to have Ohio lead the effort to say across the nation, look what we've done, and we hope that states follow after us. And, and we're seeing this not just in the, the you know, the abortion discussion, we're also seeing this in a variety of other areas with Title 10 family planning funding that's currently been changed at a federal level. We lost our Sixth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals uh, case that started many years ago and uh, is cutting funding for education and outreach programs. And we're seeing cuts to preventative health care services. So it's an all around attack, really, on people's basic fundamental right to, to get health care that they need in their community. Yeah. And the dynamic that's interesting to me, I know you are a political science major, I saw, and you yeah. know, I'm a political scientist. And th there's this kind of interesting dynamic where at, at, at a very basic level, uh, they know this is unconstitutional based on current, current constitutional interpretation. Um, but the point was always to change that was always to use a kind of battering ram to overturn um, Roe and 
Casey and other cases like that. Now with Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh on the court, we have a quite different environment there uh, that's probably much more receptive to this. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I I wonder how many Ohioans know, for example, that part of this is that we're committing to uh, hundreds of thousands, uh, if not millions of dollars to push this all the way through the courts to take this on. It's It's a costly venture on the taxpayer dime to um, pass legislation you know to be unconstitutional with the idea that Ohio is going to lead the way in overturning, um, you know, the the constitutional interpretation. And that's a part of the entire look that we're trying to really make clear to supporters and make clear to people across Ohio that this is not an isolated attack, you know. In, in folks' political memory, as you know, is is fairly short, <laughs> and that this heartbeat bill or the six-week abortion ban has been around for nine years. The case that uh, was just you know lost in the Sixth Circuit Court started in 2015, and we forget how these things are staggered over the years and how long those court cases and litigation really do take. But the impact can be felt immediately. And that, again, comes back to the fear and, and, and the scare that, you know, when we get caught up in the courts uh, and money is being spent to, to fuel arguments uh, that in a, in, a, in a day's notice, it could be shared that, you know, you are losing significant funding. That is what an entire program relies on or what, you know, an entire um, health center relies on. Uh, and Patients don't feel that impact until they call or come into a health center facility to get care that day, and, it, and it's different. Uh, and, and what we do at Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio is to really bridge that gap, is to educate and share awareness about the legislative process, make it as easy as we can um, to, to understand and highlight the impact and how people can get ahead of that Um Right now, we're not ahead of it. <laughs> when people can get ahead of it, we've been doing this work for years. Um, yeah. To hold you know, our legislators accountable, to get them involved in the democratic process, to transition that into electoral power and electoral wins here in Ohio, it's a different story uh, with winning at the moment. Yeah, I think the the historical view is really important here, and not to just always react in the moment, but to, you know, you've been at this for a long time. Your organization's been at this for a long time. Um, through any number of defunding debates and you know, misrepresentations of the work that you actually do. And I think one of the things I've noticed is um, that when you actually look at the popular support for these things, there's usually a kind of um, buffer there because when a lot of legislators look at this, they say, actually, in fact, people are generally supportive of these kinds of rights. They're generally supportive of the idea of people and patients making choices for themselves and families making planning decisions. And I'll also just say, there's some pretty serious hubris um, uh, in, in, from certain legislators in this state, I think, restricting these kinds of rights in a state that's 48th in infant mortality and you know ranks low in maternal mortality and um, even double that for African-Americans. I mean, you look at some of the health indicators, this is not a state that is poised or well-positioned right yet to take care of children and, or even help people take ter- care of children. I will just say personally, I mean, it seems like I, these are some of the things that Mike DeWine says that I'm most optimistic mm-hmm. about, or at least excited about, um, maybe not optimistic that they'll actually happen. Yeah. I'll have to see. But he certainly is talking a big game about uh, taking care of children. I certainly hope it's true, but this is not a good beginning point for that. 
Right. And that's that language and that what we've seen him roll out in his campaign and what we have now seen in the budget and in the first few months of his his time in office is is that exactly. And, and it's concerning that in the same breath that he says those things and makes those promises to Ohio people, that he's also making a commitment to sign a six week abortion ban, which we know when people don't have access to safe and legal abortion when they choose to have it in their community, that it doesn't prevent abortion from happening. In fact, it makes it just less safe and that folks that don't have access are going to resort to, to, to dangerous means. And in a state, again, as you mentioned, that has alarming infant and maternal mortality rates, that we should be widening access to care. We should be empowering our communities to make their own healthcare decisions and giving them affordable resources to do it. Uh, and I'm just not quite confident that that's going to happen through his plan. We've already seen some uh, funding discrepancies uh, with what he's put forward. But I, I really do think that his statement and promise to sign the sick week abortion ban is only going to undermine uh, part of those efforts. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today. I, I learned a lot from talking with you and I know you're going to continue. I've been trying to talk with you for a while, but there's so many sessions. Yes. There's so many hearings uh, yes. and you're at them all. <laughs> so with lots of Ohioans who are, you know, medical practitioners, uh, patients, women who care about the issue deeply because of you know, themselves or their family members. So um, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me about it as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to come on here and uh, we're going to continue doing what we do best. And, and that's to bring folks through their advocacy to the state house and hopefully uh, give our best attempt to, to stop these bans and restrictions because folks need access to health care. Great. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Kyle Rosenberger. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. As always, we welcome your emails to prognosisohio at gmail.com and your tweets and follows to at prognosisohio. Your feedback is appreciated and helpful. If you have ideas for themes and guests, we'd also love to hear them. See you next time.